Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast. I don't have a PS5, though, so it's a little limiting to me in that. I guess I'm right there with you, Ryan. (laughs) And you know what? I had an opportunity to purchase one and I uh, went to my supervisor and she said, no. (laughs) Your supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) Did she know you call her that? (laughs) No comment because I don't want that to be on my performance appraisal. How you doing there, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing, buddy? You doing good? Yeah. Glad to hear it. You guys should just do the whole episode as Peter Griffin. Can I? <laughs> um, if you think you can pull it off. <laughs> of course I can. There needs to be consequences if you don't, though. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't ready for that. Oh, see, he's not actually that committed to the idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. Consequences, schmatsequences. <laughs> Are we ready to stay? Are you really going to do it? Uh, maybe I'll read my parts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 52, and today is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host for this evening, but I have with me my two co-hosts. My first co-host is the savior and patron saint of tuba players everywhere. (laughs) My second co-host likes the sound of his own voice while he's being zapped by a cattle prod. (laughs) Please say hello to Ryan Payne, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews, and the one and only Donnie G. I think both of ours could be construed if you didn't know the context of, hey, we don't kink shame here. We don't kink shame. (laughs) (laughs) You like what you like. (laughs) Right. That is one of the tenets of the Gamers Week podcast. We do not kink shame. (laughs) All right. Before we get started, we have some big news to announce. We have reached 10,000 downloads. 10,000. <laughs> that was one of our goals when we started the podcast is we wanted to get 10,000 downloads in the first year and we have done it actually with two weeks to spare. 
Congratulations, yeah. gentlemen. Indeed. And uh, yeah. to be honest with you, there were parts of the year where I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting in the corner in the fecal position. We're not going to make it. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But in all seriousness, thank you very much to all of our listeners and patrons for making this happen. This is actually because of you. So Absolutely. thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. Yes. 100%. All right, let's get the show started with our reviews, reactions, and requests. Collision Proxima says, never listened before, but really enjoying it. Will be subscribing. Awesome. Yay, Woo. thank you. FC Racer says, okay, the Yoshi eating noise to censor words is something that I need in real life. LOL. So good. I'm glad you <laughs> like it. It was working overtime last week. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> And Johnny Boombot says to all the retro game lovers out there, make sure to check out this podcast. Really awesome content. I have honestly found my new go-to podcast. Had me crying about the gutsy move to buy VHS tapes at a flea market since I'm now collecting and hunting retro VHS tapes <laughs> and have had this exact fear. Oh, no. I bet Johnny has a few stories about I bet he stuff does. he's found. Unless he's blocked them all from his memory. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say blank VHS tapes are an adventure. Might as well take the risk. <laughs> uh, my parents got a lot of surplus VHS tapes because Kodak was releasing VHS tapes for a while. And then they stopped. So they had a crap ton of extras. And they would do that all the time. Record straight off of HBO. So like 90% of the movies I watched as a kid had the like beginning parts of the HBO. And it was funny because you could tell what year it was based off of the like the beginning credits section. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. My parents did the same. I'm pretty sure we had 75% of the Disney Channel recorded. I love when it included 80s commercials, too, because that was just oh, a yes. blast from the past. Like car commercials where everything is, is basically just a box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, see, if we were going to record something, we were usually paying really close attention and we would stop the recording when the commercial started and then start it back up. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, but do you want to fast forward through them every time for the next hundred times you watch it? No, definitely not. See, a little work at the beginning saves you a lot of work at the end. <laughs> Get good. <dude. laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's a life lesson. Pro tips from Blue Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for the Any guesses as to what the name of that particular voice changer is? Transformer? It does. I, I, will, I will give you credit for that. It does sound like a transformer, but no. Okay. Half a point. I'll still take it. <laughs> uh, a choir of angels. I got nothing. Oh, man. You nailed it. Choir is correct. Right. Very nice. Very well done. All right. Well, every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP or very important poll. And if you would like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. And our question for the week was, what is your favorite looking console design of all time? And the last place was Xbox 360 with 15.7% of the vote. Second place was PS2 Slim with 26.5% of the vote. And taking the top spot this week was the Super Famicom with 27.3% of the vote. However, 30.6% of you said, mm -mm, not these ones. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look at some of the comments for the poll. 
First up from Cyber Xander, the Mega Drive 2. It looks just amazing and so many memories with it. Poe and Newt said the GameCube is a beautiful design. It's the perfect size, portable, and just looks good on a shelf. Strange Vision 99 said the Dreamcast seeing a picture does not do it justice. Actually, seeing a real one, you'll realize it's the business. Tom Ka said the Wii, plain, simple, sexy. <laughs> and lastly, Emo S said, oh, come on, Gibbsphere. Which. <laughs> yeah, context for those who don't know. Right. South Park. <laughs> out of all the choices available in the universe blue what did you go with out of all the choices available in the universe i went with the game boy color good choice as a enormous fan of the og game boy when the new one came out it could play color and it was no longer a drab looking gray brick but it was a little bit sleeker of a design and it came in all these colors and you really felt in your heart like you needed all of them. Yes, they all did the same thing, but you needed all of them, one of each on your shelf. So I, of course, didn't get one when I was growing up. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that we got to import the... (laughs) (laughs) My parents did the whole, we got a Game Boy at home thing. So I didn't get one, but I did get one as an adult. I now have the lime green one, which I love. It's my baby. Nice. Donnie, what about you? Uh, For me, hands down, I mean, out of all the consoles that have ever been created, I got to say it's the Sega Genesis, the OG Model 1 Sega Genesis. When I look at it, I I don't know. I, I think... I think futuristic. It's very sleek, and you've got the the rounded edges. Yes, it kind of looks like you know it's rectangular, but it's got a circle in the middle. That's where they store the blast processing. Exactly. Then you pair that with the Model One Sega CD. Ooh, yeah. That to me is showroom sleekness. Um, so that's my choice. With a close runner-up, however, which isn't a console, but it's the old Coleco tabletop or mini arcade things. Oh, okay. I'm with you on that. I'm going to go with the Sega Dreamcast, but not the normal like white and gray Sega Dreamcast. I'm actually going to go with the Sega Sports Edition. Midnight. is black. It's got the awesome Sega Dreamcast kind of design, right? Where it, it looks like it is a futuristic, almost like a car, you know, you would expect. And it just, the the lines on it are really nice. And the fact that it's in black uh, just really, really does it for me. I actually, (laughs) you know what though? I never liked the white one. So the black one is just so far better. It doesn't surprise me that you want the more rare color. This is coming from the guy who has the gray Zelda cart. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh, that's extra rare. It feels good to be elite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous <laughs> patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide. You fall before me, Davey PGH, the Red Ox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Rerun Gamer, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo Esk, 
Yep, Take. Right, bridge number one. <laughs> Fruitcake's number one stand, ducks with thick thighs, the winners of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Siamane 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek with That, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, JNL Game, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, and Ducks in Disguise. If you like what you hear today, we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. <laughs> I'd like to forego our normal patron song in favor of the Family Guy theme song, but I'm a little concerned about a DMZ. (laughs) (laughs) It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But here are our gorgeous patrons for you. (laughs) (laughs) On which we used to rely. (laughs) On that note, let's move on to our headline segment, which is, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Right now, they're asking, what is your favorite retro gaming-related thing from this past year? Be it an achievement, an acquisition, an announcement, etc. Send your answers to email at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. I would say it's this podcast. Um, oh, okay. It's not, it's not retro-focused, but it is gaming-focused and it has been my top achievement for this for 2022. Thank you for stealing my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I said it first. I think for me, being able to do Gaming History 101 has been the highlight for my year because I've always wanted to do something like that. And being able to have the place to do it and to share with you guys has been a heck of a journey. I think at first, wasn't really sure if people would enjoy it, but got some really good feedback and I've been loving it. So thank you all so much. I'll listen to you too, being so honest and vulnerable and sharing your feelings. My favorite thing is uh, Shredder's Revenge. <laughs> I know it's not retro, it's a new title, but it's, you know, retro styled and it's full of fan service and it's super fun. So, yeah, the podcast is okay too. And it specifically <laughs> says retro related things. Right. So that opens up the floodgates. Right. It, right. it gives you a big gray area to work with. All right. So first up from GameIndustry.biz, Epic to pay $520 million to settle FTC charges on Fortnite. According to the FCC, Epic will pay $275 million for violating the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act and another $245 million for design relying on dark patterns to dupe millions of players into making unintentional purchases. The privacy violations included collecting personal information from children under 13 without parental consent or notification, as well as enabling voice and text chat for children and teens by default. The FTC noted that Epic employees had pushed for the company to make voice and text chat an opt-in feature as early as 2017, but Epic dragged its heels on making a change despite reports of children being harassed and sexually harassed while playing the game. While it's added a button to turn voice chat off, the STC said Epic made it hard for users to find. Furthermore, 
Fortnite allowed children to purchase the V-Bucks virtual currency without parental consent or cardholder action until 2018, and it locked the accounts of users who disputed unauthorized charges through their credit card companies. The FTC further determined that Epic ignored more than a million user complaints about wrongful charges and used the internal testing to make the cancel and refund features more difficult to find. Epic confirmed the settlement and said it would be moving beyond the longstanding industry practices. No developer creates a game with the intention of ending up here, the company said. The laws have not changed, but their application has evolved and longstanding industry practices are no longer enough. We accepted the agreement because we want Epic to be at the forefront of consumer protection and provide the best experience for our players. Damn! You want to know what that last statement really says? We accepted this agreement because we're guilty as <laughs> We have been preying on your children and taking advantage of them right up into the letter of the law. And now that people are finally actually looking at what we're doing, we're just going to roll over and pay the fine because we can't fight it because we 100% did it. That right. is what Epic is admitting right there. I don't know what these dark patterns are that duped millions of players into making unintentional purchases. It's the way they designed the UI uh, in order to encourage people to push the button accidentally and then be unable to cancel what they'd done. Okay. Because I had a similar instance with Activision when I went to go purchase the new Modern Warfare 2. Um, it defaulted to the Vault Edition. And I was like, no, I want this other oh. one. So I, I pressed the next button. It defaulted to the Vault one. I pressed purchase. Next thing I know... I was on the hook for a $99 purchase. Now, thankfully, it let me immediately get a refund and I was able to purchase the regular edition. But I can see in this instance where a kid who doesn't know any better, he's just clicking, clicking, clicking. Next thing you know, he's bought so many different things. Now, to counterpoint this, it's the parent's responsibility to make sure that these purchases are set up in a way that the kids cannot do that. You don't save your credit card information in there. You have parental controls set up. You make it to where I know that you probably get annoyed that you have to put in your credit card every single time. But guess what? This is why it's necessary. You don't want other people getting your credit card information. You don't want your kids to be able to make so many different unauthorized purchases on your credit card to where it leads you to this situation. If that part of it you feel is the parent's fault rather than epic taking advantage of kids. What do you think about the voice act part of it? I can't see any reason why you would need to hide the opt-out option for voice text for kids. To tell you the truth, younger kids shouldn't be getting online and playing these games anyway. We know how extremely toxic these places are, and we know there are predatory grounds for older people preying on children. We know this. So it really comes down to Minding and managing what your kids do, who they talk to, and whether or not they can get on and talk to their friends. I wonder if the desire to not limit them has a lot to do with the fact that getting involved in voice chat is an incentive to continue to play. Where if you take away the voice chat portion of it, it's not as connected with other people as you play. But once you add that element into it, it almost makes you want to come back to play more. Uh, similar to what we've seen a lot of companies do from a mobile side, well, they'll purposely make their games addicting. I wonder if that that was part of the decision-making process. Of course, I'm speculating here, of course, but 
otherwise, it to me just doesn't make sense why you would continue to make it difficult for them to turn it off or not have it available to turn off at all. Do you think these companies have responsibility to help parents out in protecting kids online? Or do you think they can just exist to be money-making machines and be very good at it? And as long as the law doesn't say you can't have 11-year-olds in voice chat with 45-year-olds, then they're going to go ahead and allow it. Nay, encourage it by hiding the opt-out button. In a perfect world, you would hope that they would make it easier for parents to monitor their kids' stuff. Of course. If that's the case, if it's the things that we would want from a company, I think we need to be able to demand that kind of thing from a company like Epic Games. And at the end of the day, if they're the ones that are not providing that, you have obviously every single right to to ban your kids from playing Fortnite. Probably not going to be a popular decision. <laughs> well, no, you know what? It's gonna, keeping them safe. They're going to run off to their friends' houses and play it. it right, you really can't stop them from playing is is where I was going with that. Right. But this kind of lawsuit is, is a, a step where the US government is stepping in and saying, there's nobody else regulating you. We're going to do it. And that's a dangerous thing for a company to, to have to deal with anyway. Because... Yeah. That sets a pretty big precedence about other things that can be interpreted through the law. Most video game companies have done a lot to police themselves. It's surprising to me that Epic didn't. Mm, not really. <laughs> well, you know yeah, how I mean, much money they have made from this goddamn game. That's true. And I, I don't play Fortnite. I've never played Fortnite. I really know very little about it about, except for the super annoying dances that are freaking everywhere and how every property seems to have some sort of crossover with Fortnite, whether or not it makes sense. Like we're going to have the Xenomorph from Alien running around with a gun. What does that have to do with the integrity of the IP of the Alien franchise? Absolutely nothing. But you know what? Nothing. We're going to make money selling skins. So who cares about integrity? Right, right. But reading this, I'm glad I have nothing to do with this game because this is a bunch of really shady And Epic, Mm -hmm. I know they're a business. I know they exist to make money and nothing else, but... I really feel like the people who have made these kind of decisions should be held accountable, should be fired, and should be, you know, at the end of the day, kind of ashamed of themselves. And, you know, for a long time, my nephew was asking for V-Bucks. That was like a Christmas, birthdays, yep. you know, first communion. <laughs> Can I get V-Bucks? <laughs> I don't think we ever bought them for him because it was like, no, nah, no, nah, you're just going to buy some stupid skin with this stuff. You know, why don't I get you something that you can actually use for, you know, more than a week until you get bored with that skin? Uh huh. We used to buy V bucks for our kids for Fortnite, and then one day I was like, you know what? No more. I'm not wasting my money. And my kids were like, well, I've got, I've got my allowance money. I can use that. It's like, no, I'm not even going to allow you to do that because mm-hmm. one day you're going to wake up, you're going to realize just how much money you've spent on this virtual stuff that you can't use at all. It has no real world use. And then you're going to be like, wow, I could have used that money on something else, maybe a car or something like that, maybe a new computer. But NFTs, you could. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I heard, I recently heard some new NFTs came out. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we want to get into that. <laughs> All right, from VGC, Microsoft could introduce a cheaper ad supported game past here. Survey suggests. 
The survey, which appeared on Rest Era, appears to ask whether players would be willing to pay lower amounts than the standard Xbox Game Pass monthly fee in exchange for some limitations on the subscription. One option would see players pay a lower fee, but have access to first-party Xbox titles on a delay, which could be as much as six months. A reduced tier could also see integrated ads as part of the service. However, it's not clear how these ads would manifest. While a survey is not an indication of something guaranteed to happen, it does suggest Microsoft is looking for ways to expand its Game Pass subscriber base, which Xbox head Phil Spencer has admitted has slowed down on the console, despite strong PC adoption. As of January 2022, Game Pass has over 25 million subscribers, according to Microsoft. The company recently claimed as part of the UK's investigation into its proposed Activision acquisition that it has an install base of 63 million consoles. Speaking during a web call earlier this year, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella stated that Game Pass usage has seen growth across all platforms. He said, PC Game Pass subscriptions increased 159% year over year, and with cloud gaming, we're transforming how games are distributed, played, and viewed. More than 20 million people have used the service to stream games to date. It was reported earlier this month that the service generated around $2.9 billion in revenue just on console in 2021. Is nine ninety nine expensive? <laughs> well, th- so there's Xbox Live, but there's also Game Pass. Right, right. It's a separate service. Right, but the, they're talking about a lower Game Pass monthly fee. It's already, I thought, insanely low compared to what's available on PlayStation. But I, I'm willing to bet that if they add ads to a lower tier, they're going to make a lot more money than 10 bucks a month on you. That's what I was thinking because like Hulu, is it $8.99 a month? Something like that. And then we pay the extra $4 a month, like $12.99 to get it without ads. And I don't know how much they make on ads on that service, but I'm going to bet it's more than $4 per account. So completely agree. I imagine that they are really going to push for this because it will make them more money at the end of the day. But how they would integrate the ads, that is the biggest question because if you choose a game, do you get an ad pop up before you can play the game? Like on YouTube, before you watch the video, you have to watch an ad. Mm-hmm. Or oh. while you're playing, do you have a little ad like down at the bottom of the screen or maybe in the corner just playing the entire time? <laughs> or get this before the cutscene. Yeah, before I was just the cutscene in say game. That. Right. Oh my god. Here, watch an ad. Do they do it like on Twitch where they say, "Oh, the streamer is taking a break. Stick around." You're like, "I'm <laughs> oh, in the middle of a boss fight." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would suck. <laughs> I'm just imagining. Uh, all of a sudden, it pops up and it says one out of six ads. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> "Done with this game." Or it could be the, you know, Sorrento. If it takes up 80% of the visual field, we can do that before somebody has a seizure. So it's just going to have ads all the way around your visual field the entire time. Well, I think Epic just demonstrated for us that if it's not straight up illegal, companies are going to do it. So yeah, (laughs) I believe it. I wonder if they're targeted ads too. (laughs) All of a sudden, it comes up with like, hey, we noticed that you've had this particular search on Pornhub. Have you? (laughs) 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 Honey, I swear, I wasn't looking at that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's not what I'm into. (laughs) I mean, I get it. They're just looking for more ways to bring people in. And I would imagine 
there's got to be people out there that, that would rather pay six or three bucks a month than 10. It, it has to be a killer deal with ads, I would think, because if they're talking, they've got 25 million Game Pass subscribers, but their install base is 63 million consoles. So they got to find a way to get that extra 38 million people to sign up for Game Pass. So right. is a difference of, let's say, $3 a month with ads over $10 a month, is that going to be enough to get them to pull the trigger? Personally, I wouldn't think so. Free with ads. That's a whole other issue. There you, you go. You make it free with ads. You give people absolutely no excuse to not try Game Pass. And then they get sick of the ads and they end up paying 10 bucks right, a month. Right, exactly. They get rid of it. <laughs> they, find, they find the games that they like. They get sick of the ads. They upgrade to get rid of them. Boom, you got a new, new customer. I'm all of a sudden thinking this is a genius move. <laughs> Microsoft, call me. <laughs> oh, you really? You want to work for Microsoft? No, I do not. But I could be an independent consultant with a very high fee. I was going to say. <laughs> nice. All right. Next up from IGN, John Carmack is leaving Meta. John Carmack, the prolific computer programmer and co-founder of id Software, known for his work on classic games such as Wolfenstein 3D and Quake, in addition to his contributions to virtual reality, announced today that he would be stepping down from his role at Meta. Carmack joined Oculus back in 2013 as CTO before the company was acquired by Meta, which was then known as Facebook, in 2014. He would then reduce his role at the company just five years later with a new consulting CTO role to focus more on his new startup, Keen Technologies, where he's focusing on artificial general intelligence. We have a ridiculous amount of people and resources, but we constantly self-sabotage and squander effort, Carmack said in a Facebook post detailing the reason for resigning from his position at Meta. There is no way to sugarcoat this. I think our organization is operating at half the effectiveness that would make me happy. Based on Carmack's posts and tweets, he seemed unhappy with the way things are currently going at Meta, noting in one tweet that he had always been pretty frustrated with how things get done at Facebook slash Meta, a company burning cash into its Reality Labs division as it prioritizes making software and VR headsets designed for the metaverse in mind. Even before his departure, Carmack voiced his displeasure about the current direction Meta is going. Most recently, in October, following the Meta Connect event where he noted their there was a bunch that he's grumpy about regarding Meta's current VR outings. He expressed frustrations with things such as the Quest 2, which he felt did not provide a good user experience due to frequent updates and not being a fan of the company's latest and expensive VR headset, the Quest Pro. I think this is a huge blow for Meta. I think John Carmack being a part of that provided them with some credibility. Right, some legitimacy for their right, ridiculous yeah, metaverse. Right. And him leaving is a sign that things are not going the, the direction that they want. And honestly, I think uh, anybody who is an outside observer has really seen that this metaverse that they're pushing, it's it's not working out. It's, it, it's not living up to the expectations. It's not from a technology standpoint. I mean, if you looked at some of the, the visuals from the metaverse, it's, it seems very early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> it's what, right. Second life. Exactly. Exactly. Like very second life looking. So to have Carmack leave, I think if you're an investor, that should be a, a big red flag. 
<laughs> if you haven't paid attention to any of the red flags prior to this, that's true. <laughs> this is the one. This is the one that says get out while you still can. So, do we believe that Carmack is going to a different company um, that focuses on VR and yeah, as possible a uh, arrival to Meta? Yeah, because they said he's going to focus more on the new startup Keen Technologies, which if anybody's a fan of Carmack gets that because Commander Keen was one of their first games. But yeah, I would imagine that him having creative control over it and being able to be efficient with money rather than just like, hey, let's just throw money at him and see what happens. I would love this idea that Carmack makes a better metaverse style VR experience and just crushes meta <laughs> into the ground. No, but then his then his company's hostile it's 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 a hostile takeover by Meta. And he's brought oh, back into the fold. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, oh man. This is the reason why I have not purchased um an Oculus headset. Like I am a prime candidate for owning one of these things. But as long as the Meta slash Facebook brand is attached to these things, I won't touch them. And I don't blame you because everything that Facebook touches nowadays turns to uh, look at Instagram that went from posting pictures to now it's just reels because they were like, hey, you know what? That TikTok thing works. Right. Let's just make Instagram TikTok now. And what I really hope doesn't happen is that when we do eventually get some sort of interconnected virtual world, that people figure out something else to call it besides metaverse. Just because that name is the first name that was used to describe a concept like this that really caught Mm -hmm. on. Not the first time anybody's talked about it, of course, but the first name that really caught on in a large way. I don't want it to stick. Let's come up with something else, please. Well, maybe it could be a reminder of how (laughs) it can be (laughs) if you don't pay attention to it. You know, so every time you log in, it's like, well, at least it's not owned by Meta. So we're good. We're in the clear. We know we know what our marching orders are. Every time somebody makes a new game or interactive experience, they're like, but at least it's not meta. I'm trying to put a, a silver lining. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting a silver lining on this, okay? <laughs> All right. From Oddity Central, parents hire skilled gamer to beat children at video games and crush their confidence yes i i volunteer as tribute (laughs) (laughs) a gamer recently went viral after claiming that he had been paid by parents of at least two kids to beat them at online games and crush their confidence according to the boy's parents their son used to be a model student and an obedient child until fourth grade after which video games changed him completely Boyd now dedicated most of his time to online video games and dreamed of becoming a professional gamer and supporting himself by doing what he loved most. His parents couldn't accept that, but they couldn't talk him out of it either. So they decided to have someone else do the convincing. Skill Gamer said that he played the boy five times over five hours. He took his time in the first game trying to tire out his opponent and then crushed him in the next four games as per his parents' wishes. The games were apparently so one-sided that the boy didn't want to play anymore, and his confidence in the skills as a gamer was shaken enough that the parents were able to convince him that he should focus more on his studies to build his future. The video game master claimed that he had so far helped two families reclaim their gaming-addicted kids by beating them at their favorite games and crushing their confidence. He added that this gave him a feeling of accomplishment. Hmm. Wow. Where can I sign up for this? 
<laughs> so I'm not a parent, but I have some doubts that this is really the best way to handle this. Right. I, again, it's managing what your kids do, having the intestinal fortitude to tell your child no. If I told my parents that I was not going to focus on my studies, I was going to, sorry, dad, I'm going to get really good at uh, Super Star Wars for the Super Nintendo because I think I can make something of myself. It would have been like, huh, okay, that's disconnected. And that stomped under his boot. I experienced this as a kid in particular. One of the, the times my dad did not want me to play Xbox online and he had turned off the, the Wi-Fi router because he knew that wireless, I could connect it and find a way to, to do it in the house. So I would come home from school and plan out my time so that when he would show up to the house, uh, I would already be have it turned off and I'd be doing <laughs> my homework, right? Yep. One time he came home early and because he had turned off the, the Wi-Fi router, I had like a 50 foot ethernet cord from the computer room <laughs> all the way down the stairs into the basement. You know, of course I got my headset on so I can't hear if somebody's coming through the front door. Uh, all of a sudden my fucking Xbox just whoom across the, <laughs> the room because he had pulled on the ethernet cord and yanked that sucker. And uh, needless to say, I did not play Xbox for quite a long time Ooh. as a result of that. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, you make some interesting points because to to play some devil's advocate in favor of this methodology of convincing your kids not to play games, you went behind your parents' backs mm -hmm. to play games. So did mm -hmm. I. My parents had a rule of 30 minutes of TV time, which included TV watching or video games. Ooh. But anytime they were out of the house and we could get away with it, we were on playing video games. So of course. the rule never really stopped us. So in that sense, convincing your kids that they suck at games could help you <laughs> as a parent achieve your goals. But I will tell you what I remember more than the frustration of not being able to play games every time I wanted to is I remember that my parents supported me when I wanted to do things. Right. And they encouraged me to try new things and to explore my passions. And a lot of them, you know, whatever I said that I wanted to be when I was in seventh grade, I want to be this when I grew up. And I got over it because we change as we grow up. So just because your kid says, I want to be a professional gamer and ignore my schooling, it's not the best choice, but it's probably also not going to stick forever. He's going to get tired of it and go on to something else. But what right. he will remember for the rest of his life is that you manipulated him to kill his dreams. <laughs> That's how the world works. Yeah, it's a life lesson. <laughs> Rather than help him find his path in life, you're trying to force him on the path that you want. Well, I think you, 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 we talked about this earlier, about this idea of boundaries and establishing those boundaries. Everything is good in moderation. Well, not everything, but most things. Here's a little crack cocaine. Enjoy. <laughs> but the, the point being is that, you know, I totally lost my train of thought with that. <laughs> Once heroin comes into mind, I guess I just lose. <laughs> yeah, moderation. And you know what? That's a life lesson too, isn't it? Moderation. Mm hmm. It's like we talked about before with China saying, you know, putting all those heavy limits on right. on gamers when they're kids. It's like you really haven't solved the problem because they're just going to still go play games as soon as you take the handcuffs off. Mm -hmm. 
And honestly, it's it's more of a endorphin rush doing something you're not supposed to do. Exactly. So, right. All of a sudden, I want that dopamine hit because, ooh, this is not only uh, do I get to have fun, but it's taboo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as far as the guy who said he added that this gave him a feeling of accomplishment, uh, glad to know that sadism is still alive <laughs> and well. Oh, come on. We've all met gamers like that online. Oh, yeah. Sandbaggers. Sandbaggers love sandbagging. Mm -hmm. If you were asked to get into the ring with uh, a kid and beat him up, would you still feel the same feeling of accomplishment? (laughs) My son wants to be an MMA fighter for a living. So could you please beat him up so he decides he wants to go to college? (laughs) Stay down, punk. And you got you to gotta beat him up five times, though, in order to, <laughs> to get his confidence. <laughs> and in 10 years, when the kid like bulks up and fills out in his practice, he comes for you. <laughs> and you're in a walker at that point. So right. all of a sudden, <laughs> the, it, the tables have turned. <laughs> you beat up a kid, I'm going to beat up on an old person. <laughs> Sounds fair. All right. Normally, at this point in the show, we would move on to our top three new releases, but this week, there are no new releases. <laughs> so, here are our top three new ports of the week. Kaiju Wars. Switch. Play out a kaiju movie as the hopelessly outclassed military in this stylish 2D turn-based strategy game. Construct buildings and defend your city with cannon fodder tanks, jets, and more as the devastating kaiju grow in power with every attack. Potioncraft, Alchemist Simulator, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One. We got an exclusive here! Exclusive! (laughs) No, it's not an exclusive. They're just now adding ports for this Xbox. (laughs) It's new to you. (laughs) (laughs) Potioncraft is an alchemist simulator where you physically interact with your tools and ingredients to brew potions. You're in full control of the whole shop. Invent new recipes, attract customers, and experiment to your heart's content. Just remember, the whole town is counting on you. Valkyrie Profile, Leneth, PS5, PS4. By Odin's command, the battle maiden descends from Valhalla, surveying the chaos of Midgard, seeking the souls of the worthy. As war ravages Asgard above and Ragnarok threatens the world's end, she must learn her own story and discover her own destiny. She must find her truth. This is a port from the PSP version, and new features such as rewind function, quick save and load, visual presets, etc. have been added. So, taking a look at these three new port releases, Blue, what's your pick? Well, Kaiju Wars, I'm not super interested in turn-based strategy games, but at least with this, it looks like a approach to it that I haven't seen before battling kaiju as opposed to what you normally see. So yeah, maybe probably it would more likely be Valkyrie profile Lenneth. I don't know much about this game. Definitely didn't play it on the PSP, but I know Ryan's a big fan of at least the first game in the series. So Mm -hmm. it must be at least a little good. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Blah. Blah. <laughs> uh potion craft does not sound interesting to me at all. <laughs> Kaiju Wars, I think I'll just wait until Advance Wars comes out on the Switch, which will be I think in 2036, I think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So right around the corner. <laughs> uh but 
Valkyrie Profile, first game in the series for PlayStation, is an amazing game. Probably one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I never liked the second one, though. Uh, so that was kind of a letdown for me. Haven't played Lenneth because I have never owned a PSP. But, you know, if it's coming to PS5 and PS4, I mean, yes, I could play it on PS4. I don't have a PS5, though. So it's a little limiting to me in that. I guess I'm right there with you, Ryan. (laughs) And you know what? I had an opportunity to purchase one and I uh, went to my supervisor and she said, no. (laughs) Your supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) Did she know you call her that? (laughs) No comment because I don't want that to be on my performance appraisal. (laughs) 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 But I think if... Given the opportunity to own a PS5, I think I would definitely go for Valkyrie Profile. Though you don't need PS5 hardware to play a PSP port. I just need ray tracing, okay? <laughs> okay. Nobody really <laughs> needs ray tracing. <laughs> what about you, Donnie? Um, I'm going to say a big fat nothing from either one of these. Clyde Wars doesn't seem like something I'm into. It's it's a a simulate or it's a strategy game, turn based strategy game. I'm not into those. Uh, Potion Craft looks like it was created by a five year old. Um, <laughs> Harsh. And Valkyrie Profile, it's just it's not my choice of RPGs. So if anything, I'm sticking with a new retro game I just picked up today, which is Clock Tower Three for the PlayStation Two. Ooh, I like that new retro game. <laughs> it's new, but it's old. New to you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as you're probably aware, we did a giveaway or we announced the giveaway last podcast, which we were giving away a copy of Bayonetta 3 for the Nintendo Switch. Zombies Ate My Neighbors slash Ghoul Patrol for the Nintendo Switch, as well as an awesome prize pack. Uh, So we included within that prize pack online cards for the Pokemon online trading game, a Jigglypuff Pokemon card, some vintage TMNT cards, which does have the gum in it. You can feel it. So if you are somebody who wins this, please post a video of you eating that gum. I have one of those for... Mario and I'm not touching that gum. <laughs> I have a big box of Batman movie cards from 1989 slash 1990. They mm-hmm. all still have the gum. I'm telling you, take it out, try it. Nope. And end up in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Oh, and the last one is a uh, bottle opener that has Krang on it. It's actually both sides of it have Krang, which is, is really cool. So, and that was uh, provided by Rerun Gamer. So, thank you so much, Rerun. We really appreciate it. And uh, you can actually buy that church key or bottle opener, rather, on his eBay store. So, we'll include some links into that. But wanted to go ahead and pick the winner live on the podcast. By the way, we're going to choose the top three. So, it'll go in that order of what you get to decide what you want your prize to be. But here we go. All right. In first place is GB Pack CM52. Congratulations. In second place is Princess Kitty Mew Mew. And in third place is Da underscore Clown underscore six. Congratulations to you three. We will be reaching out to you, but uh, we will obviously make this announcement available strictly on the podcast. Uh, so congratulations to all you guys. And uh, thank you so much for entering. Thank you, everybody. Woo!
Oh, Donnie, where did you go? Oh, Donnie boy. The pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> From podcast to podcast. And down the buzzsprout line. <laughs> what the hell? These lyrics don't make sense. <laughs> But they're all about Danny. <laughs> oh, Danny boy. Welcome back from your sh- <laughs> <laughs> This is going to make the podcast and sound so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our main topic from GameSpot, 2022's biggest gaming news. 2022 is coming to a close, and it was another whirlwind, unpredictable, and exciting year in the video game industry. A lot happened this year, so much so that anyone could be forgiven for forgetting some of the year's biggest gaming news. We're looking back at 2022's biggest news stories, including Microsoft's proposed bid to buy Activision Blizzard, E3 being canceled and then resurrected, developers pushing to form labor unions, and more. All right, so number eight is goodbye, E3. Hello, E3. In March, the Entertainment Software Association officially canceled E3 2022. There would be no in-person or virtual event this year. The ESA did, however, confirm that E3 would return to Los Angeles in 2023 for its first in-person event since 2019. However, the good news for fans of E3 came in September when they announced that pack organizer Reed Pop would be taking over E3 and bringing the show back in June of 2023. Reed Pop is planning to resurrect the show at the same site, the Los Angeles Convention Center, with a digital component as well for people who aren't looking to attend in person. It's still early days, but E3 2023 is now officially on the books for June 13th to the 16th, 2023. So buckle up. And you might even see yours truly, the Gamers Week podcast at E3 someday. Someday. I was going to say, not this year, though. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> someday. Someday. At number seven, the Steam Deck releases. Valve's handheld gaming device, the Steam Deck, was officially released in February. The system excels at being a mobile hub for your Steam games. And if you're looking to make the most out of your PC catalog on the go, Steam Deck is the best option right now. Coming in at number six, Elden Ring makes a splash. Elden Ring, the latest game from Bloodborne and Dark Souls Studio from Software, arrived at the end of February and quickly became a critical and commercial success, eventually winning Game of the Year at the Game Awards. The game was adored by critics and sold like hotcakes, pacing up to 18 million in counting so far. Despite Elden Ring's massive success, From Software and publisher Bandai Namco have not announced any expansion or sequel plans, at least not yet. And they forgot to mention that Stray was actually supposed to win, but did not. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. How could they? How? <laughs> All right. Number five, game developers seek to unionize. Unlike other major entertainment businesses like TV and film, the video game industry is largely not unionized. In 2022, a number of developer groups pushed for collective bargaining, including Activision, Blizzard's Call of Duty studio, Raven Software, and a team of BioWare QA developers. Workers at Nintendo also attempted to unionize, and this led to a lot of drama with one developer claiming union busting from Nintendo. It remains to be seen if these unions will be officially recognized, and if so, what impact that could have on the labor market in the video game industry. 
Number four, the GTA 6 leak. In September, Rockstar Games suffered an unprecedented breach that saw early images and video footage of the next Grand Theft Auto game leak into the wild. The leaked footage appeared to corroborate rumors that the title is set in Vice City and will feature a playable female lead character for the first time in the series. It's believed that GTA 6, or whatever the game is officially called, will be a heist-themed game featuring a Bonnie and Clyde-type story. Whatever the case, Rockstar Games and parent company Take-Two reacted to the leak, expressing their disappointment but assuring fans that development remains ongoing. A suspect believed to be responsible for the hack was reportedly held in a youth detention center awaiting further processing. Coming in at number three, Goodbye Stadia. September 2022 also brought the news that Google would be shutting down its ambitious cloud game streaming service Stadia and issuing refunds. Stadia launched publicly in November 2019 and was led by former PlayStation and Xbox boss, drink, Phil Harrison, (laughs) with Google setting up teams of studios to help build games for it. But all of that came to an end in September when Google announced it would shut down Stadia due to a lack of interest from the community. The service that was once ambitiously billed as a console replacement will officially go offline on January 18th, 2023. We should hold uh, some sort of service like a wake. Like a candlelight vigil. Yeah, on the 18th. (laughs) How do I say <laughs> goodbye? Like a candle in the wind. <laughs> Never know who to cling to when the rain set in. <laughs> All right, number two, Bayonetta 3 voice acting drama, which Donnie, of course, has replaced. Yep. So we don't have to talk. No, drama okay. is solved. <laughs> <laughs> One of the last big gaming stories of 2022 came about in late October when Bayonetta voice actor Helena Taylor uploaded a series of Twitter videos in which she claimed she was offered an insulting amount of money, $4,000, to come back for Bayonetta 3. She didn't take the deal, and the role of Bayonetta went to prolific voice actor Jennifer Hale. Taylor quoted the Bible and called Nintendo and Platinum fat cats in her video essay. A subsequent report from Bloomberg said Taylor didn't tell the whole story in her original Twitter videos and was actually offered more money and made additional payment requests to appear in the game. The controversy and back and forth created a good amount of drama and led to a renewed discussion about voice actor pay and how information is disseminated in the social media age. And coming in at number one, big buyouts. 2022 was a year dominated by mergers and acquisitions. That's mergers and acquisitions, not murders and executions in the video game industry. (laughs) There may have been some of those behind the scenes. (laughs) Right. In fact, some estimates and projections said 2022 was on pace to become the biggest year on record for major buyouts, with deals totaling more than $150 billion in 2022. Some of the biggest deals in 2022 included Take-Two buying Zynga for $12.7 billion, Microsoft announcing a bid to purchase Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, Sony buying Bungie for $3.6 billion, and the New York Times buying the viral word game Wordle for a seven-figure fee. Embracer also made a series of buyouts in 2022, including Dark House, Square Enix franchises like Deuce X and Tomb Raider, The Lord uh, of the Rings. That's Deus Ex. <sighs> Sorry. It's a little Deus Coop. Yeah. <laughs> Square Enix franchises like Deus Ex and Tomb Raider, the Lord of the Rings series, and more. 
More recently, however, Embracer acknowledged that the world is facing tough economic times of late and might need to spin off some of its companies and take advantage of certain tax rules to help weather the storm. I got that joke like five seconds after you said it. <laughs> I it was pretty damn clever, but whatever. <laughs> Day is coop, dude. You don't know what I got. <laughs> I mean, to bring in a Beach Boy song as a reference, that's, that's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Well done. So this was almost kind of like a little trip down memory lane for Gamers Week podcast because we started... The first week of January was when we started the podcast. So we're coming up on our one-year anniversary here in a couple of weeks. So we covered all of these stories in our episodes over the year. Which is good for us, considering that we didn't miss anything uh, of value uh, in this list. So pat on our back right there. Good job, us. We are for (laughs) the minimum (laughs) obligations of making a gaming news podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess uh, for you guys, like what what was the thing that stuck out to you most about this year? Well, reuse dong was one of them and that's not even on this list. (laughs) (laughs) How was that not among the biggest news (laughs) with all these mergers and acquisitions and developers trying to unionize and then reuse dong in the street fighter six reveal. Was the the pun on purpose about the biggest news? Giggity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for me, I would say that the story that put the biggest smile on my face was when Stadia shut down mm-hmm. because we have been making fun of that service since the beginning, since 2019, when it was announced with those ridiculous Stadia commercials and the Stadia dog. And then they toned down their advertising a bit over the, the service's life cycle. But Google shot themselves in the foot at every mm-hmm. step. They were poaching developers, poaching big name developers, setting up their own studios, then going, nah, we're going to shut down all the studios. Within months, they never even had a chance to make anything, let alone see if their games would have been successful. And it was a game streaming service where you still had to buy the games. And then somehow they thought people were going to prefer that over something like Game Pass. It was just a terrible idea from the beginning. And everybody seemed to realize it except freaking Google. And so this was fodder for jokes for so long. And then when it was finally canceled, it was just like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you see the end of the movie coming and you're not mad about it. (laughs) Like the mean old lady in Gremlins when she finally gets (laughs) You knew it was coming, but it's no less satisfying just because you saw it coming. (laughs) I would agree that I think Stadia is probably the the, the one that hits the most. Uh, the other one to me was the drama behind Bayonetta 3. Right. But that's for less of a fun reason. Right, right. For sure. For sure. And I think it was a, a tale about social media and who gets out first, right? With all the information, provides their one-sided opinion about something right. and chooses to censor or filter the whole story to make themselves look pretty darn good. And then all of the people who piled onto this being like, oh my God, Elena's a, uh, you know, this amazing person. How could you do this to her? And all these things. Yeah, She's the biggest victim. And then the truth came out and there was a a fair number of people who ate crow as a result of that. But uh, not, I mean, obviously not everybody went full board in, but there were definitely a large contingency of people who, just jumped on the bandwagon for this. Yep. That that was the most disappointing 
part about it is, okay, so Helena Taylor wants a bit of attention over this. Okay, that's her prerogative. If she wants to rally the troops, she's allowed to do that. But it was the flip side of that of it's not only let's support Helena Taylor, it's let's support Helena Taylor by going after Jennifer Hale. Right. Who right. didn't do anything except for accept a role that was offered to her. Because, exactly. As we said before, who wouldn't take the role? All of us would take the role if it was offered to us. And and Helena's added fuel to the fire with that by saying, well, she's never going to be the true Bayonetta and she shouldn't be signing exactly. autographs on behalf of this. So uh, and, and really making her the villain of this story when, as you alluded to, it, this is the, nothing for her was at fault by accepting this role. Right. It's like, gamers, come on. We're better than this, or we should be right. better than this. So that's a goal for 2023. <laughs> it would be the same thing in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when the original mother was recast, right? And mm-hmm. that would be the same thing as if the original actress were to say, well, you're not the real Aunt Viv. You can't go out and, and make guest appearances as Aunt Viv because I'm Aunt Viv. You can't sign autographs and everything like that. It's just well, stupid. and even worse. And then all the fans of Fresh Prince send her hate mail and throw eggs at her car and all that kind of stuff. I mean, right, right. That actress wouldn't have deserved that, and Helena Taylor didn't, or uh, Jennifer Hale didn't deserve it. Nope. Um, one of the the things that I liked this year was the fact that E3 was coming back. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've, I've had an affinity towards E3 since the 90s, ever since it first came out. Yes, it's it's mostly um, the journalists and whatnot and the big game companies that that purchase a lot. You know, they see, oh, this game's being showcased or showcased here. And and all right, I'm going to order this many units and, and yada, yada, yada. But the, we don't really get that anymore because with everything going digitally now, do we really even see the need for E3 to come back? So it's sort of a, like, yes, I'd love to see it, but eh, do we really need it? Kind of like my love for Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> I think what it, what E3 became, we don't need. You're 100% right. But the fact that PAX organizer Reed Pop is kind of rebranding this and doing it a little bit differently, more like a PAX show, I think is what E3 needed. So the fact that they're taking over and doing this, I think that E3 can have some relevancy again. Because for a right. while, it was very irrelevant. Yeah, it's been year For years, E3 has essentially been a joke, right? Because right not only has there been very little reason to go, when they switched to digital shows, it was pretty cringy. So to hear that it's coming back, but it's coming back in a new form. Hopefully, it's going to be a convention. Hopefully, it's going to be a party. As opposed right. to this strange, like, anachronistic thing that nobody actually needs or wants. Right. Yeah, it's got to be better than what it was, honestly. Uh, I it don't has s- to be. It has to be, exactly. I, I, I just don't see it. Them going, all right, we'll just we'll do what we've always done. <laughs> <laughs> it worked before, right? <laughs> Anybody got a DeLorean that can go to 88? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a 2023 prediction. You're going to miss the game of the year for next year. But you're going to recall how you did call Elden Ring was game of the year for 2022. And you're going to milk that cow until it's dust. That's what I see. <laughs> Seconded. <laughs> you guys are just mad because you didn't guess the goatee. No comment. You're not wrong. <laughs> Uh, also, we'll have to, when we do one of our January episodes, we'll have to make our predictions for the next year and uh, 
see who actually gets theirs right because I don't feel like Sega has done anything. You shut your oh, mouth. Why did you face. even? Oh, why would you even say anything? <laughs> because you decided to poke the bear. Uh, mm. Excuse me, excuse me. I need to go get some popcorn. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, I've still got what nine. T- 10 days, 10 days. Come on, Sega. Come on, baby. <laughs> Papa needs a brand new pair of shoes. Come on. Yes, because so much business gets done in the last two weeks of the year. It's time for a revival. You know, everybody stops working at the month of December. Sega is going to do the opposite. It's it's bizarro world. They're going to come out <laughs> out of the gates before the before the year ends. And they're going to say, hey, we're buying we're buying Xbox. <laughs> it can happen, right? All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leadist Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. When USA localization efforts were made to release the NES game Crash and the Boys, they added an advert at the end for a different game, one which ironically never ended up getting released outside of Japan. Can you name the game? Tune into the Leadist podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. So to give you a clue, it does start with Crash and the Boys. Huh? <laughs> Crash and the boys do Tokyo. <laughs> Debbie would have been proud. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie does Tokyo? <laughs> I know all the series. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> That's why it was never released in the US. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I, I know of the Crash and the Boys game, but I never played it. So it's the Kunio game, you know, the Kunio style games. So like Nintendo World Cup and uh, River City Ransom. Yeah. It's in that art style. It's uh, Crash and the Boys. Redacted. Okay. I think my my idea would have sold better. Oh, undoubtedly. <laughs> <laughs> Free hugs uh, gets a whole different meaning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for coming soon. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, we'll be discussing one of the first ever lawsuits in the video game industry and related to copyrights. Not the first, but one of the first. The time is 1980 when Atari sued Philips over Pac-Man. So to kind of start at the beginning, when you think of Pac-Man, what's the first company that comes to mind? Um, that one company who did the thing. Yeah, <laughs> the one company. Namco. Right, so Namco was the, the company in Japan that released it. They licensed it to Midway, which released it in the U.S. But my guess is it probably wasn't going to be Atari when you think of Pac-Man. No, definitely no. not. Right, so I mean, like after all, why would you think of Atari? They were the develop they weren't the developers of Pac-Man nor the distributors of uh, like the arcade mega hit. Then the question kind of looms: Then what does Atari have to sue Philips over for copyright infringement? Well, it had to do with a little guy called KC Munchkin and the rights purchased for console games. So as I'm sure you're aware, Pac-Man is one of the most popular arcade games of all time. 
It's often credited with bringing women into the world of arcades and video games, which predominantly was focused towards males at the time. And it generated over a billion dollars in quarters its first year on the market. Side note, did did you know that the reason that they made Pac-Man was because they thought it would be more appealing to women? Have you guys ever heard that? I did. It Mm -mm. makes me roll my eyes. I I assumed that was going to be the case. Because apparently he's cute and it's not violent. And that's that's what women like, apparently. Is we hate violence. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to speak for the entire gender. <laughs> well, you know, needless to say, it was a phenomenon that console video, gamer, video game companies wanted to capture. And Atari at the time was the number one console video game company. And they were quick to recognize the commercial success of Pac-Man. Uh, they secured the rights to produce Pac-Man clones for the Atari, a Pac-Man clone, rather, for the Atari 2600, getting exclusive rights to the name and likeness of Pac-Man for consoles. This put Atari in a very favorable spot, knowing that both ColecoVision, Magnavox, and Intellivision were chomping at the bit to take a bite out of Atari's stranglehold over the video game space. Having the rights to the most popular game at the time really ensured they'd beat the competition. Now, before Atari could pat themselves on the back and declare victory, they actually had to make a workable version of Pac-Man for their 2600 console. And that's where things get a little hairy. The 2600 was not powerful enough to make a true clone of the arcade hit, and programming really had to start from scratch to make a Pac-Man-like game for the system. So Philips, though, also recognizing what it successful game Pac-Man was decided that they were going to make their own what they refer to as a maze chase game and thus Casey Munchkin was born. Now Phillips was aware that they couldn't make an exact copy of Pac-Man so they needed to make some choices to differentiate their game from the fever inducing yellow circle and can we get a little Pac-Man fever music to play at that point? (laughs) Okay. So what they did is they added a a pair of antenna to their protagonist, KC, uh, made him greenish blue, and the power pellets that he would eat moved around the maze uh, and tried to avoid being eaten, and the maze itself would change shape as the player moved around. However, everything else matched Pac-Man almost identically. Around protagonist, traverses a maze, avoids enemies, consumes items on screen, and can use special items to consume the enemies. Phillips made the game playable for the Magnavox Odyssey 2 console when marketing the game specifically made choices to ensure that the game made no mention of Pac-Man. However, that did not stop retailers from making the obvious comparison. This led to a fair number of Odyssey 2 sold along with copies of Casey Munchkin. So having beat Atari to the punch for releasing a Pac-Man-like game and using the game's popularity to generate sales ruffled a few feathers uh, in Sunnyvale, California at Atari headquarters. Now, Atari and Midway decided to file a preliminary injunction that included a clause to have Casey Munchen temporarily halted as far as sales and remove the game from store shelves. Now, the court, though, did not grant that injunction to Atari, citing that Atari had not proven the, the likelihood for success at trial, given that they had no evidence that Phillips had directly copied Pac-Man. So Atari would need to prove copying by showing that Phillips had one access to Pac-Man and that the two games were substantially similar. 
Now, since the question of access was not contested, the game was out. They knew about it. You know, it's obviously aware. The case would eventually kind of hinge on the idea whether Casey Munchkin was that quote unquote substantially similar to the legally protected parts of Pac-Man. So Atari appealed the motion to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit with the appeal decided on March 2nd, 1982. Now, this time the court had ruled actually in Atari's favor, explaining that it had enough that substantial parts were lifted. No plagiarist can excuse the wrong by showing how much of his work he did not pirate. Just a strange phrase. I was going to say, huh? No. That's a quote from the judge. (laughs) So while Atari cannot prevent competitors from making any maze chase game, the court basically said that Atari could prevent competitors from making games that were that quote unquote substantially similar in expression to Pac-Man. It gets a very interesting kind of legalese with this, right? It's, yeah. it's like this teetering on uh, very gray areas. So that that kind of meant that Atari could not protect against things like, you know, broad ideas such as, you know, like opponents chasing a character or elements of kind of the essential idea such as scoring dots and, you know, like tunnel exits. But copyright protection was granted for non-essential items such as Pac-Man's quote-unquote gobbler character as well as the design of the ghost monsters because in Casey Munchkin, they're ghosts as well. Somebody messed up. So the court concluded that a quote unquote, and I'm doing this a lot today, (laughs) (laughs) ordinary observer would see that Munchkin had copied Pac-Man and infringement did not require an exact reproduction. And even though uh, Phillips took this whole entire court uh, case to the Supreme Court of the United States, Supreme Court said, nah, we ain't going to listen to that case. So it was done. The interesting part about this is that we kind of see some of this still playing out today, this idea of copyright infringement and copying over genres. One of the the most modern examples I think of that is PUBG versus Fortnite, where there's a lot of similarities between those two games. One came out first, which was PUBG. And if memory serves me right, they did, in fact, sue uh, Epic Games over that copyright. I don't think that PUBG won, though. But the idea that... In today's gaming space, that plagiarist feeling of one game versus another is not as cut and dry, I think, as what you could see with Pac-Man, where Pac-Man, because it's so simplistic, the the differences between a copy or a, you know, a, a Pac-Man-like game versus something like PUBG and Fortnite, there's so much into those modern games that you could really kind of get away with saying, no, 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 our game is different because of these eight things, right? Can't really do that with Pac-Man. It's these eight things is the whole game. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's just interesting in, in that sense. But really the legacy behind the case, uh, it, it did make some changes, of course, to how copyright law is interpreted when it comes to video games. And in the 1999 book, Legal Battles That Shaped the Computer Industry, Lawrence Graham writes that Atari versus Philip helped establish that copyright law does not protect video games as such, but does protect particular expressive content in video games. And he explains that in later cases, further development of the boundaries between unprotected ideas and protected expression were seen in such cases as Data East versus Epics in 1988 about Karate Champ and Karate World Championship. 
They were wow. definitely not trying to pretend that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting part too is that in the industry, they were a lot of people were saying, well, this is a good thing in some respects, but also a bad thing if this ends up creating it so that people can't make games in a similar genre. So if you're going to say that, for example, maze chase games are exclusive to Pac-Man, then you run the risk of never being able to create something tangentially similar to that. Well, I and I think that's a stretch. You know, yep. the, yes, you can create the same maze chase game, but don't have the same mechanics. Don't have the same mm-hmm. thing that's chomping pellets. Don't have the same ghosts. Don't have the same power ups and all that stuff. You know, be a little bit different. Don't be a complete effing ripoff. And I think that's what this case eventually was able to bring to the light because they they didn't say specifically you can't copy a game's similar mechanics, base mechanics. But it, when it comes to some of those specifics that you're talking about, change this, change that, now it's a new game is a good thing because that means that there's some variety in your choices versus there's only going to be one battle royale. There's only going to be one maze chase game which is they were afraid that that's how the law was going to interpret it. Right. Uh, and they're glad that they didn't. So eventually Atari did come out with a version of Pac-Man for the 2600. And it's often cited as being one of the worst games on the system. Yes. <laughs> it's clunky. It barely resembles the source material and flickers enough to give you a headache after 30 seconds of gameplay. So to kind of wrap things up, you know, with this whole court case, it's seen as a positive for the video game industry for both copyright holders and game developers. Uh, It set the stage to say, you can copy a game's gameplay, but you got to make sure that it's different enough that it's not the exact same thing, which I think is what you see in a lot of other media as well. It's not strictly to video games, but video games had never been put in that light before this uh, you know, I take it back. There's one other court case with Atari and asteroids, but uh, this one I think solidified that idea that you know it's it's a gray area. Making sure that you you know your, your focus is when developing a game that you're not lifting strict gameplay elements, but you are definitely able to at least be inspired by a game. So thank you for attending today's lesson. Just a reminder, if you have any ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com and we might feature your suggestion. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to episode 52 of Gamers Week podcast and a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the Leaders podcast and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC, email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com, visit our merch store at Gamers-Week-Podcast.Creator-Spring.com, or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash GamersWeek. And finally... Since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for us, everyone. Have a good night. Have a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Can I go back to Kohog? (laughs) (laughs) Have myself a beer here. (laughs) At the Thirsty Clam. (laughs) (laughs) Or drunken clam. I yeah, it's a drunken fuck. clam. Oh, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Giggity, 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 giggity. <laughs>
good night, everyone. Yep, good night. And Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like, <laughs> I Google Street Fighter 6. The first search result that comes up is, people think they can see Ryu's in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.